0: Back to another episode of Setting the Pace, and on today's show we've got Red Barrett, Mark Schenker. Red, Mark, how are you guys? I'm uh, doing great. Can't
2: complain. Got some actual basketball to talk about. Yeah, no, I agree. It's uh, we've had a lot to look at with the Pacers, but there's a ton going on league wide too that I am uh, definitely struggling to keep up with. I have been, but it's uh, it's been a task, man. I for, always forget. Like as much as I love the league, it is so crazy trying to keep up with everything sometimes. But it's worth it. Uh, but how are you doing, Alex?
0: Yeah, man, I'm I'm doing good. And like you said, it is it's definitely hard to keep up with it, especially during Christmas and holiday season. So I uh, I really didn't even really get a chance to watch the Pacers Bulls game on on Saturday. It was on in the background, but our family was you know playing games and just you know having time together. So didn't really get a chance to watch that. But I did get a chance to watch the big one over the Celtics, and it was really cool because this afternoon, Demontis Sabonis was named the Eastern Conference Player of the Week. And, you know, Rhett, that's just, that's pretty cool to get the first honors.
1: Yeah. And it was very well deserved with what he's been doing, uh, leading the team in points, rebounds, and assists so far, hitting the game winning shot. Um, just, just been an incredible week so far.
0: Yeah. And so, Mark, I got to, I got to ask you because it seems like Sabonis' minutes have actually upticked. From, from last year, which I didn't even know was possible, but looks like Dave Bjorken's going ride, to uh, ride Domas hard. And I put a tweet out today talking about how Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Bleak were both fourth and eighth in minutes per game last year, while Domas was 13th with under McMillan. I mean, if, if if this trend continues where Bjorken does a lot of the same things Nick Nurse does, it wouldn't surprise me if Sabonis cracks that top five for minutes played this year. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's possible.
2: Um, I hadn't really thought about that. I, I know... Um, I was talking to Brian Sutter earlier today. If you guys don't know who he is, he's uh, one of the best, um, you know, kind of sports medicine people out there that's involved with with sports media right now. Um, you know, we were talking about looking at rest and, and load managements. And so I, I don't know, I like, he's he played 40 minutes last night, I believe, uh, off of back-to-back, which is kind of like just unexpected, you know, compared to, you know, what we're used to. Um, I, I don't want to say that, you know, I, I'm, I tend to be the pessimist of the group, I'll be honest. Um, I think that that's not going to be a trend that we continue to see. That's just my opinion. I mean, maybe uh, we'll see it here and there. But I really think the minutes are going to fluctuate a lot once guys are getting back and healthy. Like if Gogo was, was back yesterday, I think we would have seen some of him um, you know, when, when Jeremy's back, when uh, Ed's back, you know, I, I think that the, there's going to be a little bit of a deeper rotation. We're going to see some more minutes kind of spread out. I mean, we saw like uh in the very first game, when Tom coined at the death lineup and TJ McConnell ended up playing more minutes than Aaron, uh, that really only happened because of how well they were playing together. Like Aaron was on track to completely blow TJ out of the water minutes played that game, but Nate ran with uh, the bench lineup for the last nine minutes of the game. So um yeah, I mean, I just think it's going to fluctuate a lot more, but we'll see. I mean, it's three games in, feels like we know so much, but at the same time, I think we know like
1: very little. It's it's kind of kind of wild. So I'll say on the Sabonis minutes piece specifically for last night, no Vic and against Boston, who doesn't have a center who can handle Sabonis, it seemed it seemed very matchup driven, because and we saw it. Sabonis feasted and missed a ton of easy shots, but still ended up, you know having a really good line it just seemed like it was very opportunistic rather than something we're going to see moving forward to uh
0: yeah well that's a fair point I think you know for uh for last night's game it was really good to see so many different guys get involved but I think the one thing that was that stood out the most was just the fact that the Pacers coach Nate Bjorkman pulled out Miles Turner at the end of the game and had Doug McDermott out there and I don't know if it's really a criticism or not, but I guess it was just an interesting tidbit because, I mean, Miles Turner is is a blocking machine right now, and this is a very close game. And so I just felt like we don't really consider McDermott this defensive specialist by any stretch. So are there he any... actually?
2: He was getting cooked yesterday. It was, yeah, it was, right. actually, it was very tough. So,
0: so why why do you guys think Bjorkran went ahead and went with McDermott with that five to, you know, for that last defensive stop right there?
2: It's a good question. Um, I mean, I know, I don't, I think it was it, either Jay Michael or Scott Agnes asked him after the game. Um, I can't remember for sure. I remember I was watching the oppressor, but, um, you know, he just talked about wanting to ride with him because of what he can do offensively. So I think he was maybe weighing more on that. Um, I did agree. I thought it was weird to continue him um, in there, but I mean, we've already seen that he kind of likes giving guys run once they're out there and they're, they're hot, they're playing well. Um, so it would be kind of weird to just like sub him out after Miles hasn't hadn't been in for four or five minutes, you know. Um, I guess maybe that's the angle that he's coming from. But I I don't know. I, I agree. It's
1: uh, kind of odd not seeing Miles close a game. Yeah, I don't remember who talked about it again. We're just but I think it was about switching. Now, obviously McDermott is not a great defender, but even still when it comes to a switching defense, <laughs> it kind of makes more sense to have McDermott out there maybe than Miles. I'm not sure, but that I, I don't know. It didn't make a ton of sense to me either.
0: Yeah. But it worked. Yeah, it <laughs> worked. Genius. And, they, and, and Jason Tatum actually should have been called for an offensive foul according to the last two-minute report. And they also did miss the double dribble by Marcus Smart. So the Pacers really, you know, squeaked that one out when they could have had two calls go in their favor. So, yeah, that was interesting to see. But all I will say this, you know, that was probably the most exciting game of the season, without a doubt. He didn't really know what to think after beating the Knicks and the Bulls. Two teams of Pacers have had great success with since Oladipo and Sabonis have been traded here. But, but now, you know, with that one over Boston, no Vic. Uh, Aaron Holiday gets the start, and we will probably see Victor tomorrow on Tuesday. If you're listening to this to, on Tuesday morning, it'll be tonight against the Celtics. So what are you guys expecting different in this series now that Victor will be back in the mix?
2: Uh, So before we actually get can I tell you something really something that I I really like that's a small sample size trend I tweeted this out earlier today, but is huge and has been awesome. And I think Vic is part of what's making it work. Um, But the Pacers are currently third in defensive rebounding percentage in the NBA, uh, which is a complete inverse of last year after being almost last. Um, and in backtracking to Boston and Chicago are both top 10 in the NBA and offensive rebound percentage right now, the Knicks are down in the bottom 10, but that shows it's not just coming because of weak competition. Like they're at, they, I, I've been noticing it. You know, I, I had fought um, previously you know, over the first three games that they have been rebounding better. And I went and I did a kind of stats check this morning on a bunch of things and uh, that held up. So I'm interested to see if that continues. Um, especially, you know, Tristan Thompson was a little bit, I mean, he was fine, but he's, uh, I was talking to John Corrales today, lock on Celtics and um, he's a little bit hobbled still he's on a minutes restriction. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, if they're able to, to with, with another night of game planning, um, whether or not they're, they're able to attack the glass differently on Indy, but regardless, it's a really positive sign out the gates and that, I mean, that transitions right into Vic, he's a huge part of that.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna be interested to see what the defensive assignments look like for Boston. So with with Kimba out, you know, they're starting, they actually started Tice and Thompson, which makes sense yeah. to match the double big. But is who is gonna get Malcolm, uh, Warren and Vic? Like what at what at what point is there gonna be like is smart gonna take Vic or is Smart gonna take Brogdon? I imagine probably not. But it's just going to be interesting to see what sort of uh, defensive uh, exposure we can get from them, uh, especially when we take one of the bigs off and run with the one big, run a little bit smaller, and uh, the Celtics have to bring one of you know Teague or Ojale or Grant Williams in. Um, Warren was cooking those guys just yeah. constantly. So I'm, yeah. I'm interested to see what they do to react to Vic coming in instead of Aaron Holiday.
2: I actually wonder if they'll start Grant Williams instead um, just because you could put Grant Williams on miles Turner um, yeah. even though, you know, I think it's still not pretty. Um, and I, I, you know, obviously we, we thoroughly enjoy miles and I think that there are ways that he could abuse that mismatch, but um, if you're going to have T- as good as, as much as I enjoyed that Daniel Tice as a player and he's good. And I think he only played Ray. 15 minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was surprised yeah, exactly. by that.
2: Yep. Yeah, but- <laughs> um, but yeah, so I personally think I wouldn't be super surprised if they end up starting Grant Williams, but that's just me. Um, but yeah, it, it provides a lot of interesting things. And one thing that stood out to me yesterday, um, they had Malcolm defend Jason Tatum, um, which I, I mean, I personally, I remember talking to Tom about it. I really thought that they were going to start off with TJ on Tatum. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I, I mean, I, the, the only reasoning I thought was maybe they wanted to preserve some of TJ off ball, but um, even then, I mean, he was he was expending a lot of energy having to guard Jalen Brown. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the Pacers match up uh, defensively too.
0: Yeah, and I, and I, I want to go back to your rebounding thing because I thought T.J. Warren actually was decently aggressive. He's been attacking the glass a lot better defensively. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he had five rebounds, and that's just something you're not used to seeing from him. And the way he got the rebounds, it wasn't, you know, just softly going up and grabbing a missed shot. No, I mean, he was in there fighting for some of those loose balls, and I thought that was – you know, something really nice to see from him, a different wrinkle to his game. But, yeah, I think on the other side, too, it's going to be interesting to see um, not only who they guard, but who guards them and how they can utilize those. And, uh, I mean, Jeff T yesterday just, I mean, he got to the free throw line a lot, but, I mean, I'm telling you what, on defense, he just had his head turning a lot. Yeah. And it's it's these, this bench that Boston has yeah. is just not very good. And the Pacers bench might be one of the best benches in the entire league.
1: Yeah, no question. I think, I mean, Boston is especially one of those teams that you could just, if you have a competent bench, like you said, let alone an above average bench, one of the best ones in the league, you can just destroy them in those minutes. And that's what you saw. Um, I mean, the plus minus doesn't really show it, but who really knows what that means? Uh, Yeah. The biggest surprise was probably going only eight deep into the bench with no Vic. Yeah. But uh you know, having having an extra body, assuming they keep the same rotation, just add Vic and go nine deep, that should uh, make the bench even more lethal.
0: Yeah. Mark, are you surprised that had uh, only played eight players on the second night of a back-to-back? Yeah, no, give, I've definitely been other... surprised
2: by that this season.
0: <laughs> it's, it's weird, yeah, like that's been, rotation. That stood
2: out to me every single game. Uh, it's, we're seeing the exact same rotation from last year, granted different minutes and they're being distributed differently. Um, I really was under the impression that we were going to see 10 or 11 guys play every night. And I'm not, you know, I'm not going to counter it. It's three and zero right now. So you can't really fault to anything. Um, but I, I am interested to see how that plays out over the course of the season. Is he just doing this because these guys are new um, under his system and he wants to see those lineups fresh and early and really trying to tinker with that? Um, or is this more of what we're going to see? You know, I, I don't know. Um, that's definitely something to note. Um, but I guess, I mean, if you look at it, there's it wouldn't have, none of the matchups really called for um, any of the deep bench guys. I mean, you could definitely argue for Keelan Martin because I think he fits pretty much anything the Pacers are doing. Yep. Um, but I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how that looks moving forward.
0: Yeah, and I, and I want to talk a little bit about Justin Holliday here because this is a guy that's been playing a decent amount of minutes off the bench. But his three-point shot has not been there this season for him. He's just been struggling a little bit from behind the arc, but defensively he's been really good. So I'm curious, while we know he can make an impact on defense, last year he was such a positive from the three-point line. Do we anticipate that he'll get back to that somehow, or is it just maybe last year was just, you know, um, I don't know. It was just uh, something we're not usually used to seeing. So is this is this uh, Justin Holiday reverting back to his old self, you know, not being known for the three-point shooting, or is this something that – just pump the brakes. It's only three games into the season.
2: Pump the brakes. It's only three games. Um, yeah. If this is like still continuing, even if it's like fifteen games in, um, I think then you can start being a little bit concerned. But like, I mean, we've seen shooting slumps that go pretty lengthy amounts of time. Um, Corey Joseph flashbacks. You know, I, I just think, oh god, don't remind me. Um, <laughs> I yeah, no, I I think. I I think it'll be fine, personally. Um, I mean, Aaron isn't – I don't know if his number's in front of me, but I felt like shooting the exact same. Yeah, they're both shooting pretty poorly from three. I almost tweeted out yesterday, man, wait until the Holiday Brothers start hitting Hollow Trays. And then I was like, no, I can't tweet that. That's terrible. (laughs) But, um, yeah. No, seriously, like, I think – that's another thing that has stood out that I was thinking about today. They have not shot over 33s in any of the first three games after, like, lighting it up just in – attempts from my nephew's going crazy over there. Um but you know they uh it's so it's kind of funny to see that that juxtaposition a little bit. But um you know as, I can't just like completely still this is my own I was thinking of it but um you know they mentioned on the low post today it was Zach Lowe and Chris Herring about how the team is so much more active in getting to the rim. And that also stood out today when I was looking at the stats queries there as of today uh it was either second or third in you know amount of attempts coming at the rim like almost almost 50% of all shots are coming at the rim per cleaning the glass, which is huge, such a big difference. Um, You know, and and I think another thing that goes into that, looking at Victor, Victor right now, again, small sample size, he's shooting 67% at the rim, same as his, uh, his all NBA year. That's 12 attempts. So don't read too much into it. Um, But he's also at his lowest usage percentage, uh, just shy of 20%. uh, And that's in his career, that's his lowest usage percentage. Um, so seeing him kind of becoming more of an off-ball guard again, two games, but if we're going to see what we've seen from Vic and being more of a supercharged role player who does take some of those tougher and shot clock shots, but really he's not forcing anything like we were seeing last year. Which again, not necessarily forcing in you know, a bad connotation, but in terms of him, you know, getting back into form, um, it just makes a, it. It adds a really dangerous wrinkle to the offense.
1: Yeah, so going into Nerd Corner a little bit here. Uh, that's
2: what we're here for.
1: Yeah, exactly. We bring Rhett. Yep, that's exactly right. So <laughs> Pacers are actually 29th in the league through three games and three point percentage at twenty eight percent total. And they're allowing twenty or they're allowing forty one percent from three, which is twenty sixth in the league. So if you combine those together and the fact that we're still three and zero, like those are both easily something that you'll have to fix in order to be a a legit team Uh, and that's just that's super optimistic especially when you think about the Pacers being first in field goals attempted and then just the opponent rebounding percentages are just insane compared to last year being second and fourth in offensive and rebounded or offensive and defensive rebounding uh, just across the board it's it's so different
0: no I think those are great points like uh, you guys are definitely a nerd corner because like i said it's it's been a struggle for me to even try to get a chance to watch the games but uh just been so busy with everything going on but i do think those are really glaring statistics and uh the fact that we're still 3 and 0 is is definitely a good sign and I, and I think a lot of that has to just go to the defense because i mean we we kind of talked about it you know miles turner has just been a blocking machine but i mean this guy is absolutely on fire protecting the rim and I know a lot of people have been talking about it, but I really think like with this roster and and how many shot attempts are going to be, you know, put up by Sabonis, Brogdon, you know, Warren, Oladipo, and then when McDermott comes in the game, he's been shooting the ball a lot. There's not a lot of opportunities for Turner, but I do like the way that he's, you know, taking the shots that he's getting, but not forcing, but on defense has really just locked in and has been the best shot blocker in the NBA I know it's early, but, I mean, the way he's been protecting the rim, it's it's been incredible. And I, I this might be his best start on the defensive side of things that I can remember. This is the best he's looked on the defensive end ever. Um, and that's saying
2: something considering he finished top five in a defensive player that you year voting two years ago. Um, there was the possession. Tony's clipped it before I could. Tony's too fast with clipping stuff. Um, but, <laughs> um, no, there was the possession. I was in the third quarter. Um, I don't remember who drove on him. I think it was Jeff Teague. Uh, Miles switched on to him. Uh, I, I believe Teague got, you know, like halfway to the basket. Miles altered the shot, forced him to stop driving, uh, blocked the shot. He Teague picked it right back up and went back to the rim. And uh, and, and Miles blocked it again. I mean, he's like – he's not just protecting the rim. Like, he is altering the shot profile for, for, for offenses. Um, there were multiple times yesterday where – Guys just stopped driving to the rim altogether because Miles was there. Um, I, I think he looks smoother on the perimeter than he has, and he's always been a pretty solid perimeter big. Like he's not like somebody who I want switching out on LeBron more than you know once a game, even though it worked last year. Um, you know, I I I, I, I don't know. I think that he's he just looks even more comfortable on the defensive end than he has in prior years. I don't expect him to be blocking six shots a game. <laughs> um because that's what he's averaging right now, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, right now, I I mean, he would be uh, all defense through three games. So, um, pretty cool. Um, and, and, but you know, what stands out the most to me, I'm going on a rant, I'm sorry, but, um, I've just, I'm, I'm coming back at all the people who have given the mild slander that was unwarranted. Um, no, he's not shooting well from three right now, as people have tried to point out to me, but I don't care. He's taking them. And more importantly, he's been really aggressive getting to the rim on, yes. uh, on putbacks, following drivers. And most importantly, he's not shooting any mid-range shots. Like, and it's not even that he's bad at those. Like, he's good at taking mid-range shots. He used to be like, way better at them when he was a rookie, but um, he's not hesitating. He's not popping to the free throw line anymore. He's either getting to the rim or he's spacing out to the three-point line and and he's just confident in what he's doing. And he looks – this is the best he's ever looked in a Pacers uniform as far as I'm concerned.
1: I could not agree more. And I think that it's something that you see how aggressive everybody's playing on the perimeter because they can just throw themselves into the stands and hope that the guy drives at miles. Like, it's just – it's crazy to think about how – how many shots he's blocking, but how many shots he's altering and the percentage at the rim that he's holding opponents to, I guess somebody just tweeted it out. He's a, he's uh, like contesting 10 shots at the rim and opponents are shooting like 35%, which is by far the best in the league. He's just been incredible. And as far as offensively, like if you want to look at his numbers and say that he's shooting, he's only made, one three or two threes a game, and you know he's only got ten points, nine points, ten points. I don't care. Like exactly. if if you look at the difference, like if you pull up, I guarantee you there's a couple plays that have been the exact same from last year to this year. Miles looks so different. He is getting the ball. He's either putting it up or putting it on the ground, going to the rim. And I I could not agree more that he's looked as good now as he's as he's ever looked, uh and that's even without his shot falling.
0: Well, and I wanted to say this, too, because clearly he has a chip on his shoulder. I mean, when, when yep. you're when you're that involved in trade talks and then people are putting out stuff saying that no team really wants you, like whether it's true or not, I, I'm sure he hears that talk and I'm sure it's really, you know, firing him up. And as far as the offensive end goes, you know, I was kind of hitting at this at the beginning, like a couple things. Number one, they don't need him to to be an offensive, you know, not not presence they need him to be that but a powerhouse I would say they need him to you know pick his spots like he has been but I also think Miles is a guy that he's a rhythm player and getting these attempts in rhythm and maybe get setting up a couple plays for him in a row might help him get more in a rhythm and I feel like you know it's not like we've seen a lot of that it's just been here and there he's getting open looks but it's not it's in the rhythm of the offense but He's probably not getting in a rhythm similar to like how Domas is pretty much touching the ball every time on offense. I'm sure when you're not touching the ball as often and getting as involved, it it is harder to get that rhythm going. And you know some guys just are not wired that way, and and some are. So I'm I'm sure that Miles, yeah, uh, but I'm I'm sure Miles is still adjusting to that type of offense, even though he did it quite a bit last year. I'm sure it's still just a bit of a bit of an adjustment for him, but defensively guys, I mean, this, this guy is on a tear and I put it out being not facetious, but like it's way too early to start talking about it, but he's really making a case for defensive player of the year early on in the season.
1: Yeah, no question. I think, I mean, you're going to hear from Utah fans that are talking about all of Gobert's advanced stats and it'll be interesting to see with a bigger sample size, what Turner's advanced stats look like, but, I just, he's just so incredible to what this team's trying to do on defense. And it's, he's the reason why we can get out there and have the third most steals in the league. Like it's, he's incredible.
0: Any final thoughts, Mark, before I move on to the next topic? No, no, I'm good to move on. Okay, cool, cool. So I wanted to ask you guys, what was something that, has really stood out to you that we haven't brought up. And then whether that's good or bad, I would like to, uh, I would like to hear your thoughts on things that maybe I haven't noticed. So Mark, I'll give you the floor. What is something that you have noticed from this team, uh, good or bad?
2: Yeah. um, Corner threes uh, defensively. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's funny because I think that a lot of it, I'm thinking, I'm picking up on a lot of this stuff because this, this is what the Raptors did. And I watched a lot of the Raptors play, um, and Blake Murphy and Eric Green do fantastic stuff at The Athletic. You should read them because they any of their stuff from last year is going to apply to the Pacers this year if they keep playing this way. Um, the Pacers are allowing almost 10% of all opponent shots to come from the corners, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that is just about the tops in the league. Um, so what they're doing, you know, like the principle behind that, the the corners are the shortest distance that you're going to be able to close out to a shooter from three. So if you sag in to take away paint shots, which they're doing heavily, which is the complete opposite of last year after putting it, you know, last year was everyone on an Island funneling it to miles. And now it's so different. Cause if it's, it's like, uh, no one's on an Island. They're all working in tandem and trying to drive, uh, drive ball handlers into the teeth of the defense, not just at miles. Um, so it's really sagging into the paint and forcing way tougher shots. Um, and when you have outlet passes go to the corners, the idea is, okay, well, that's the, the, the smallest distance for a guy to have to close out. So you just take those sh- – allow guys to get those shots knowing, okay, we're going to contest really hard. Um, we might end up fouling, but for the most part, you're, you're hopeful that you're going to close out right. Um, it's been working out well. Again, like Rhett mentioned, <laughs> opponents are shooting 41% from three, which is a little bit uh, – odd to start it's also year. not sustainable would, yeah it's definitely not sustainable I really hope Peyton Pritchard doesn't get left wide open again because that one was <laughs> not that was just the that wasn't a defensive gap like like they actually just left him open and I was like I was a little bit concerted by that I was like oh well you know if you look at his shooting numbers from college we know not to do that but um I, I digress but yeah no that's something that has stood out to me and I'm interested to see if they continue playing like that throughout the year I I bet they do um but it's been uh it's been interesting
0: Yeah, Brett. what about you? So it's really –
1: it's a tale of two separate three-game stretches, I feel like, from preseason to regular season because, like we talked about a little bit, is the three-point attempts in the preseason would have set Pacers records, I think, for all three games darn near, or at least been in, like, top five of of all games uh, for three-points attempted. And then the Pacers are out here only shooting 28.7 threes a game, which is – still that's like on par with a McMillan team so that's a little bit interesting and then the free throw rate is about the same as well so that's just really the style of basketball and I feel like the confidence everybody has in the coach you guys saw it or you if you weren't on Twitter you maybe didn't see it but every post game interview for Brogdon, McDermott, Sabonis, Turner from Boston's game talked about Bjorkren as a coach. It was like, everybody was giving him props. Like he he saw this, he made adjustments. He saw that the, that uh, Boston was switching that screen every single time on the handoff on that final play. So he had Warren clear all the way out. Caitlin posted the the video of that earlier. And, and it's just, to see the players buy in that hard to a coach that clearly is making adjustments because what's been the, the, the biggest thing for every Pacers team under the Nett McMillan era, the crappy third quarters. Yeah. And so far the Pacers have been pretty good in the third quarter, making actual adjustments from, from half to half. And uh, even though the numbers may look pretty similar between Bjorkren and McMillan, I think it's a pretty stark difference, uh, especially when you consider how the players are talking about the coach. You know
2: what's kind of weird about that? It uh, it and I, I mean this in a, in a positive way. It's been cool seeing how positive the guys are, yeah. Um, about Nate Bjorkgren, but it's also come off in a way that is uh, it, it feels awkward the way that it's coming off. By it's Nate pretty McMahon.
1: aggressive. Yeah, I agree. like there's, it, there's a it lot. Feels like very subtle
2: shade. Um, like I remember I was I was watching Malcolm's uh, presser the other day. Oh, he was went like,
1: on for a while.
2: Yeah, and it just felt like. And, again, I'm not trying to attribute anything to Malcolm and saying that he's, like, talking shit about Nate McMillan, but it's just uh, – it's, it's definitely uh, – it's interesting. Definitely interesting to watch from afar.
1: Well, that and that falls in line with, I think, what was a J. Michael reporting after McMillan was fired, that there were voices in the locker room that were not happy with McMillan's coaching style. And it really seems like Brogdon would have been that voice, especially when you consider how strongly he's talking about Bjorkren.
0: Oh, I agree with that, and I think a lot of it just comes back to the relationship that Brogdon has with the front office. You know, Um, to me, it just seems like if he was that adamant about, you know, wanting a change, I can see why Kevin Pritchard felt like, hey, I need to make that change. But not saying Brogdon influenced it, but it wouldn't surprise me if he if he did. So um, I want to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to preview game number two versus Celtics. I do enjoy these series; it is kind of fun to see the teams play back-to-back, and I, I think it could actually intensify some rivalries, which which I think the NBA desperately needs again, but um, let's take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about that, and I do want to talk about um, the game-winning shot from Sabonis and just that last little bit of, uh, of the game there and, and how cool it was to see Domas make that shot and, and where the Pacers got that play from, so uh, we'll be right back to talk about that. Okay, we're back, and I want to give the floor to Mark here to talk about that game-winning play from Demonte Sabonis. So, kind of walk us through what happened there, Mark. Well, it was pretty beautiful.
2: Um, it was just really well drawn up. It was out of uh, obviously out of timeout uh, from the sideline. Uh, Caitlin Cooper posted, as, as always, Caitlin posts some great stuff. Uh, she posted a video showing of how wide TJ Warren went to 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 just expand and spread out the court. Uh, obviously, Domas gets the ball, uh, at the top of the arc, um, going left, uh, going into a DHO and fakes the DHO and takes it himself to the rim. Uh, Time Lord gets stopped by time himself, um, gets, is too late to catch up, and Domas just gets in, uh, for the attempt. I mean, it was, it was really well drawn up. And what's, what's been impressive too, I mean, we saw, um, time and time again. I think there are there two or three separate times in, in the third and fourth quarter when Domas just absolutely baked Tristan Thompson to the rim, uh, did that like little hesitation into a spin move towards the rim. Um, it, it feels like his handle's a little bit improved, but yeah, I'm I'm elaborating a little bit too much. Yeah, no, the, the final play was fantastic. Extremely well drawn up. Uh, they'd been abusing that DHO all game with Malcolm Brogdon. Um, So they used his gravity to get, Domas a super easy basket uh, and it worked incredibly well.
0: Yeah, Red, did you uh, did you have any other thoughts to throw in there on that last play?
1: I was just glad to see an out of bounds play executed properly at the end of the game because when TJ Warren got that ball stolen, it was just flashbacks oh, to yeah, I was, to yeah. every Celtics out of bounds play of the last two or three years when the game on the line where it just seemed like the Pacers would throw it away. Yeah. But yeah, as far as the play itself, I mean that's just something like a coach seeing that is such an encouraging sign because, you know, there's there's making adjustments and then there's making or seeing an adjustment that is to be made and keeping it for the right moment. Because I think I, – I don't remember who said it, but it was after the post game It was Bjorkren noticed that trend on the dribble handoff where they would end up switching it like – early in the game like second quarter or something like that was what they said and he was just he would just kept that note in the back of his head and whipped it out for the final play just love seeing stuff like that.
0: Well, that is really cool and I and I do I do want to bring up a little bit because I know Rhett, we talked about it off air but you know Sabonis does get that shot and he and he's flexing and it looks great to see him you know just super excited but then he doesn't convert on the free throw. Yeah. And, yeah, and there was and there was a, a play before that where he got fouled and missed both free throws, I believe, or went one for two. I can't even remember. But, yeah, it was one of two. Yeah, so it's you know it's it's one of those things where I'm not going to get too mad at Domas because clearly he was Eastern Conference Player of the Week for a reason, but getting to the free throw line more uh, is definitely going to mean he's going to have to get a little bit better uh, at converting on those free throw attempts.
1: Yeah, so right now he's shooting almost nine free throw attempts a game, which is almost double what he shot last year, but he also shot 72% last year and he's shooting 58% right now. So I definitely, it's it's something that he needs to improve on, but it also could just be, you know, just a poor free throw shooting stretch. Like if he goes the next three games and he's still shooting under 60% from the free throw line, then that's a huge problem. But, you know, I imagine if you just look at the next three games, he'll probably be up close to that 70% mark, which is still not great. You want to obviously want him to be better, but that's, he's never been that great of a free throw shooter in his career. So it's, it's uh if he's getting to the line that many and still hitting 70% or whatever, that's, that's still an improvement.
0: All right. Well, let's move on to, Tonight's game against the Boston Celtics. So, Mark, what is something you're looking forward to for this game after seeing what you saw on Sunday night?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess the the first thing that I would mention is uh, Vic's going to be back. Um, yeah. How does that change? We mentioned this earlier. How does that change defensive assignments on both sides? Um, how does that change the flow of the offense a little bit? Um, is he going to be in kind of the same capacity that we've seen in the first two games that he was in? Because if so, then awesome like I think that just adds a whole other wrinkle Um, because Malcolm I mean as as much as we just talked about Domas uh, on offense and Miles on defense I mean Malcolm was huge offensively for getting to the rim and collapsing the Celtics defense Um, so I'm interested to see how Vic uh, factors into that and also again um, if Malcolm can do it again because the way that he, he he's come out playing extremely well uh, he's shooting really well from three. Again, his off dribble game looks way better. He's still shooting not very well at the rim, which I'm hoping will turn around, but that was a try. I just don't season. see that. I don't see it. Yeah. No, I know it's probably not going to change,
0: um, but I'm, you know, small he, doesn't sample play size, above, he doesn't play above the rim enough for me for how big he is. No, that's a good point. That's a, just that's how I kind of view him. Like I, I, I've said it last year a lot. I just I see Kyle Lowry and how well he gets his body into the defender and gets to the free throw line. Like I, I feel like Malcolm could do more of that, but for some reason, Mark, I, I don't understand why. Like it's like you see him on fast breaks get above the rim and dunk it, but most of the time it's like he barely gets it to the rim and he's uh, always he's going reverse or trying to use the rim for protection. So, well, I mean, j- he
2: can he can he can this- leap. I mean, he's mostly a one foot leaper when it comes to dunks. Um, or wait, no, it's, he's mostly a two foot leaper. what I'm talking about, but, um, I mean, he's not really a, a, a great vertical athlete, so I'm not, I, I think a lot of Kyle Lowry, he's, he's great at leveraging. I mean, Malcolm's, uh, weight is, is more predominantly, you know, his center of mass is definitely higher up than, than Kyle. So that, that, that would have an impact on, on how phys- it's not even that he's not physical, like he's physical, but I don't think he has quite the, uh, ability to just get into a guy and then finish at the rim. Well, still, um, but I agree. I mean, I wish that he could get up more above the rim, but um, I'm, I'm hopeful that things will just even out so that instead of shooting 51 or 52% at the rim, he's shooting like 56 or 58, which still isn't great, but it's better than, you know, being
0: bottom 10% among combo guards. Oh, yeah, for sure. Rhett, something you're looking forward to tomorrow's game? Uh,
1: I'm looking for an improvement in three-point percentage, both – on the Pacers side of things to shoot better than their 30 or 28% on the season and on the Celtics a, a decline from the 41% they've been allowing so far this year, just because, you know, it's, it's pretty much live by the three die by the three. And it's surprising that the Pacers have shot so poorly yet still won three games in a row. Um, but then also just what, what Vic does in a lineup, like against a good team. Cause you know, it's the Knicks and it's the Bulls. It's, that's just not a super great sample size. Like we know that he's not going to shoot 67% from three for the year. So I'm just really interested to see what he's going to look like uh, going against a good lineup.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm excited to see Vic too. And I think from the Celtic standpoint, I'm kind of interested to see what Brad Stevens does differently in his adjustments. Because one thing I did notice is they were trying to make Domas work really hard for all of the shots they were sending over extra help when there was mismatches in the post and stuff like that. And I do recall um, the one play that I recall in my mind from that game is um, somebody left McDermott to go over, over help uh, Sabonis. And there was a, like a skip pass that got McDermott a wide open three in the corner. And I think he, I think he hit it if I recall right, but um, it's just stuff like that. I'm, I mean, the Pacers have to continue to make the right plays if they're going to put so much focal point on, on slowing down Sabonis. And, that's why I think Brogdon was so uh spectacular in Sunday's game. Now you got Vic, who's gonna have an opportunity to get more uh, you know, more looks if they're so cued in on some bonus. And then I'm also curious to see how Miles plays once again. You know, how how do they go at him on the defensive end? Do they continue to attack him, knowing how good of a shot blocker he is, or are they gonna, you know, try to change that up as well? So, I mean, there's a lot of different things I'm looking forward to, but overall, I just want to see if the Pacers can. You know, handle business at home, even though it's no fans. Um, but but kind of punch put punch their ticket a little bit. Show show the NBA like, hey, you know, we're um, we're a little bit better than you guys thought we were. And Boston, you know, we're not afraid of you, even though Boston's not fully healthy. This is a good opportunity for the Pacers to go two and zero against the Celtics.
1: Yeah, and not only that, but if they win this game and they go four and zero, it's like not to look ahead too much because that's that gets you in trouble but they have a chance to go 6-0 and like I know that they still have the 3-0 and Cavs ahead of them but I'm not super worried about that matchup and then they got the Knicks again so like this is this is a very strong start to the season that could just roll over into a bunch of other bunch of other wins moving forward against some teams yeah. that aren't that
2: Cat, great. banking some wins early is huge. Exactly. You know, we saw like even last year you start off 0 and 3 and it takes a while to get back up the standings. Um so I, I think you know cashing these wins early, getting some confidence early is huge. Um, Especially with COVID, you don't know who's gonna miss time. Yeah.
0: No, and I and I also think like everybody kind of talked about it on their pods that I heard pacers could get off to a slow start. Well, that's that's. Been, I was
2: one of the people pioneering that. I'll be honest. Yep, I, yep, and I, I still think too. I will say it too. I still think it's possible. Um, it's been a nice three game start, but I just I don't want to get our expectations too high going in early.
0: Even though we just spent this. So they're five. not going seventy two now. No, it's still oh, a possibility. Okay. But um, I will say this: I think that them getting these three wins though will definitely give them more confidence. I think. Had they started to lose a little bit, that could have caused some truckle down effects. Maybe if the guys were like not believing in the coach, maybe a little bit. Uh, Victor was frustrated with his role. It's the same with Turner. But I think with them getting off to a, a hot start, of course things can change. But I think getting off to a hot start, they talk. You guys talked about it. How much they were just raving about uh, Bjorklund. If he can continue to gain that trust with these guys, I don't really see where. You know, they could, I mean, they could fall down to about a 500 maybe later in the month or in, in January. But I just feel like building up this positivity, building building this foundation is key for, for a coach that's first-time coach, let alone a guy that's trying to, you know, get all these guys to gel and play together. And yes, they have played together before, but our starters still, uh, this is their first significant time together, and they've looked really good.
1: Yeah, it's it's really interesting to think about what the team may have thought about itself if you go back in there like one and two it's like oh is like what's Bjorkren doing you know like you could just easily hear the narrative especially from the from the national media who may not be watching the game super close but yeah I'm glad we don't have to worry about that uh, definitely not getting our hopes up too high obviously we're not gonna be 72 and0 and they're just gonna be losing some games but uh, yeah the adjustments going going forward uh is is really what's going to tell us what Bjorken's all about?
0: Yeah, and we'll get a chance to see that, and uh, maybe we'll get to see some more boxing. One with TJ McConnell and Jason Tatum. <laughs> oh, please no. <laughs> I'm fine. If we never
2: see, yeah, I though that there. That's it's it's interesting because I mean things work. Jason Tatum, as good as he played yesterday, did not have a great game. I mean, nope. he finished his stat line was good, um, but something that's been weird with him this year, he's really not been as good driving to the rim as he had been. Uh, down the stretch last year I mean he his first free free throw attempts of the season came against the Pacers uh, last night so that's uh, a little I don't want to say concerning again it's small sample size beginning of the year it's different because they don't have Gordon Hayward um, and, and mm-hmm. Kemba's out as well so they're relying on a lot for him but um, I mean they really weren't in a flow offensively yesterday it, it ended up being a lot of my turn your turn with him and Jalen Brown and it just wasn't pretty obviously you have him taking the step back three and missing uh, in one of the final possessions that would have put them up, um, you know. And it, I mean, it's it, part of it's credit to the Pacers for for having the defense that is so aggressive in the driving lanes now. Um, but at the same time, I think it is a little bit of uh, the, the the Celtics making mistakes and just turning the ball over a lot. So it'll be interesting to see if they can clean some of that up tomorrow and um, how the Pacers kind of draw some counters with that. But again. Um, I think it's going to be difficult to play TG, allow TJ McConnell to switch on to Jason Tatum much because that happened a lot in the first game. Yeah. Uh, I, I was frankly kind of surprised with how often that happened.
0: I've just been surprised at how well McConnell's played compared to how he played in the bubble and in preseason. You know, McConnell actually looks rejuvenated. I don't know if, you know, he just, to me, he's a regular season guy. I want to see it in the playoffs. And of course, you know, we could see him play differently with Bjorken, but. I was a little bit worried about how he would fit in, but really I, I feel like he's been a huge spark off the bench. I mean, oh yeah, yeah
1: all, sure. all time NBA leader in inbounds <laughs> passes stolen. So yeah, <laughs> that, that was
0: shout out Dave. Yeah. That was funny as hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Chris Herring actually messaged him back, which is hilarious. So that even makes it funnier, but um, it's hilarious how, uh, just how how pesky he is it, it is it's, it's just McConnell is so much fun to watch like if you're trying to get some energy in the pre, in the in the regular season like I I know fans fans love him because he's just all heart all the time and while his limitations are there with his with his talent it's just you like watching guys that just do the dirty work and work hard and you know just you know have to make up for their lack of talent in other areas and that's why I think McConnell is easy to easy to relate to but overall you know I just I want to continue to see this team get better at, uh, at converting on threes. Like you said, Rhett, continue to get to the free throw line and convert on those free throw attempts and, and just keep playing that team defense because I think the, defensive, the new defensive scheme and system has been a, a nice spark. Even though there are some holes in it and it's not been perfect, I do kind of like what I'm seeing compared to last year.
1: Yeah, no question. It's the the swiping defense. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I think they've done a little bit better on their closeouts too, not jumping out at, and like going into the stands, but, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited about this team. Yeah,
2: I agree. I think there's a lot there to like, I'm interested to see how they start to change things moving forward. Um, but honestly, I'm. it's just, it's cool seeing the way that it's developed uh, and we're kind of seeing um, this team come to fruition a little bit in ways that we'd, frankly, you know, hoped about um, leading into the bubble last year and, and during the season last year before COVID had even happened when we're wondering, okay, well, what does this team look like when, when Vic's back and when they're fully healthy? And, um, again, it's only been three games that we're seeing positive signs of, uh, of what the Pacers can be.
1: Yeah, this yeah. is, like, best-case scenario for Bjorken, right? Like, is there a better start to the season for this team? I can't envision one. <laughs> I don't really. I don't really think to, for every for for Warren to miss or not miss, but to not play well, and for Miles to not shoot well, but for everybody else to still be doing uh, relatively well in their roles outside of Justin and Aaron making two threes total, like and to still be winning and playing together. I just, it's a huge, huge win for uh, for Dorkin in the front office for making that change that was kind of frowned upon.
0: Yeah, no, I'm excited about it, so I I do want to kind of transition here because we do want to talk a little bit of NBA on this podcast and not just keep it completely Pacer-centric, but we do want to talk mostly Pacers because we know the majority of you fans want to hear about that, but I thought it would be cool maybe every week if we could do a little NBA corner, and uh, I'll start with you, Mark. Is there uh, anything as far as uh, other teams that have stuck out to you. I haven't been able to watch much basketball. I just saw that the Clippers were down by fifty at halftime. Got to see a little bit of that, and I got to see a little bit of the uh, the the, the Hornets Nets game that was going on last night towards the end. So, any other any other things going on?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, a lot, what what isn't going on? Right. Um, basically, this week, all of the big teams lost the game in weird fashion. The Bucks got blown out by the Knicks. Yesterday, um, the the Mavs, uh, the Clippers, just clips gun clip, as as my Lakers friends would say. Um, you know, it, it's been odd seeing some of the things play out the way they have. I mean, right now, at the top of the Eastern Conference standings is Indiana, Atlanta, and Cleveland, Orlando. Um, yeah, or Orlando too, and actually, Orlando is good. Um, Orlando has looked really nice. Cleveland has actually been pretty good too. I, I was higher on them than most people were going into the season. Um, I don't think they're going to be a, I mean, they could be a feisty like play in team. I don't think they're going to be like 15 seed. Um, like some people maybe thought uh, golden state is probably the biggest thing that you'd have to point out. I mean, golden state has been way Holy worse. Holy cow. Kelly Ubrey has not hit a shot yet. That was uh, that, that hasn't been a dunk. I believe seven from thir- seven for 39 from the field. Um, I, I think that's going to change personally. I, I like Kelly Ubrey a lot <laughs> as player you and I, both Rhett, um, <laughs> Too they're, much, they're just, in, it, it's interesting. They're, they're a really funny microcosm of how the NBA, um, is, or just sports in general, you know? So I think there was this kind of reductive view that, Oh, you get guys who can shoot threes in our athletics. So that's going to make the warriors even better. Right. Well, I mean, so much that gets lost in translation about what made the warriors great when they were at their peak is not just that they had KD Steph, and, and, you know, uh, and and Clay and Dre. I mean, those guys, obviously, that's what made them win titles. But what helped them have, like, a 73-win season is having Andre Godala, Sean Livingston, David West, like, guys come off the bench who are instrumental veterans with incredible in-game IQ. Um, Just all of those guys are plus passers. They move the ball well. Even if they're not great shooters, they're, they're able to handle the ball. Like Sean Livingston's a great secondary ball handler, even if he's not a shooter. Um, they don't have that. I mean, Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre both finished like bottom 5% among wings last year in terms of like every kind of playmaking statistic and analytic stat you can look at. Um, which is not good. So you, you go from having all these guys who are really – and it, when I say IQ, I mean basketball IQ, like making the right plays and decision-making. It's not about a guy being smart or stupid. I don't like that idea. Um, but it just in terms of like overall feel for the game and um, you know, knowing your role and that kind of thing, it, it's not there with Golden State. So I'm interested to see if they start to try and maybe simplify what they're doing. Or tailoring it more to the to the players that they have because right now, like if they continue like this, I mean, they're in the lottery again, um, and I don't think it's a it's not Steph's fault. I mean, that team is just bad. So
1: yeah, um, but we'll see. Brett, uh, man, there's there's so many NBA storylines right now going on. Uh, I think for me, it's probably that I think Milwaukee might surrender the number one seed.
2: Oh, uh, I don't know about that yet. To who? Well, to who? I, to that's who? A, I don't know. I don't, that's... know to, I don't know. Cleveland, to, no. obviously. It's Cle-
1: Cleveland, Orlando, Atlanta, take your pick. No, but I just think they're trying so many different things, I, and I think it's a good thing. Yeah, um, no, I agree. They're, they're doing so many different things, and one of those things is including Frank Neal and Alfred Payton going like seven of seven from three. So – uh, maybe do something differently with that but it's I just think there's there's something to be said for trying things in the regular season that may not work especially when you have like zero continuity between the roster I shouldn't say zero very little continuity because outside of Giannis Middleton Lopez yeah they're so different though know, it's it's incredibly different like you know it's it's you don't have Bledsoe, you don't have Hill, you don't have Ilyasova, you don't have, you know, all these other guys. And I think that that's, that's a huge change. Uh, And maybe they'll turn around and obviously Bud is a great coach. And at a certain point that talent just over, overrules everything else. So they'll probably end up still being really, really good, but I'm just really glad to see that they're trying different things rather than, you know, just doing, doing what they did, putting Drew in Bledsoe's role and hoping that that's enough.
0: Yeah. Well, I wanted to go back a little bit to last week when we talked about some players and stuff and you guys brought up Markel Fultz and yes, look sir. at his stat line over the last three games. He's been pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. I am ai mean, I'm a big Markel. I'm a believer. believer. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and and you have the recording so that it was before any of these games right. happened. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not hopping on the bandwagon. I'm like close to the front of it, but no, I think uh, Orlando is just an interesting team. I, I I'm, Aaron Gordon's looked pretty decent. Uh, Vooch is obviously going to do Vooch. He things. unlocked his
2: game by growing out the throw.
1: That's, yeah, exactly. That's the only. No, cream. actually,
2: another team that I would say to to look out for that I've been watching um, kind of from the sidelines, um, the Spurs. They're fun. They're. Um, so I, fun. I don't think they're going to be great this year. Like I, I'm, I'm not expecting them to be like a four seed or something. But I wouldn't be surprised if they sneak, sneak into the playoffs if they keep playing the way that they have been. Um, Kelvin Johnson has been yes. awesome. Yes. I love Kelvin Johnson part of this because he was like the guy I really wanted the Pacers to draft instead of Goga. I'm still psyched that, that the Pacers got Goga. I think he's a great talent. Um, but Kelvin Johnson is good. I mean, he was guarding Zion Williamson uh, to start the game yesterday and actually did pretty well. Um, he's showing a lot offensively. He's just a really quality player already. I mean, they just have a really fun group of guys. Like, I don't know how they all fit together, but they have a they have something fun going in San Antonio. That isn't uh it's a very different brand of basketball than they've been playing the last, you know, two decades. So.
0: No, oh, that's, that is definitely interesting. I mean, San Antonio is a team that I really don't think to watch too much just because there's not like, that's how they get you. Yeah. That's, I know. Yeah, that's they're it. Like they're like the Pacers West in a sense, you know, they're close to the top for my league pass power rankings Are they? Just because
2: I mean, yeah, Derek white, DeJone, Derek white's not playing right now. He had a totally injury, yeah. Um, but he'll be back. Um, the Jonathan Johnson, Murray's right. looked good. Um, you know, Devin Vassell has been really good already as a rookie. I liked him a lot in the draft. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, they just they have a good group.
0: Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get more into the NBA corner a little bit. Maybe I can get some more in this week. Uh I have a couple days off here. Uh this this coming week, so maybe I can get in some of that. But yeah, I don't have too much to share on this end of it. I will say this though, I think the Chicago Bulls are a lot worse. Than I thought they might be. Why is that every single year? It just, I think I, it might change around though. I, I
2: think maybe. it's early. I, I just think, yeah, exactly. It's early. Wendell Carter actually looked he like he had a he great could play basketball yesterday. He had a really good game yesterday. Um, I thought he was better against the Pacers too, at least in the beginning. But his first game was really bad. Um, and part of it's just I love Wendell. I liked him better than Marvin Bagley coming out of Duke, anyways. Mm. Um, just because I I way over-prioritized role players, but um, no, I just really like Wendell. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I think the Bulls still have the makings to be a solid team this year. I mean, remember, the Pacers looked awful the first three games last year, so I, I'm trying not to draw too, too tight of conclusions on guys.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I just when I look at the roster difference. I mean, the Pacers were projected to make the playoffs. Chicago's not. I just, you know, Billy Donovan's a guy that I like as a coach, and I know that they're um, – Pat, Patrick, was it Williams? Is that the guy that drafted yeah. yeah. Yeah, Patrick Williams. So they're starting him. They're very young. Uh, Kobe White starting a point guard this year with – you know, I, to, to be honest with me, it's like their bench almost seems to be a little bit more competent just because they got more uh, veterans, more of a more of a flow to what they do. And I feel like their starters are just kind of like, uh, it's kind of hard to figure them out. But um, Chicago, I mean, they're just a team like I, – I think everybody wants them to be good. Everybody – talks about how good their young talent is, but it just doesn't seem to fit well together, or at least it hasn't. Uh, it hasn't really come together with marketing and Carter and, and, you know, um uh good grief, what's the point guard's name? I'm blanking right now. Uh, Levine, anyway. Kobe White. Kobe White, yeah. And, and Zach Levine, obviously, is a guy that, you know, pretty good basketball player. So, I mean, they have talent, but it's just, like, overall, like – I want to see them – I feel like they're better than what they are. But um, it's tough. And Cleveland's another team that's exciting as well. Um, Seeing them in the preseason, even though it was just preseason, I like their young talent. Yeah. No, Darius Garland's been awesome.
2: Um, So there's that. Isaac Okoro, I believe – I don't know if he's going to end up missing the Pacers game because that's still some time away. Um, But he is out, I believe, right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Kevin Love too. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to look forward to. Um, In terms of funny things around the league, the picture of Terrence Ross that came out yesterday, fantastic. (laughs) Um, The uh, other thing, Thomas Bryant dunking on his own rim was uh, was great as well coming up for the defensive rebound. Um, We have the, the, you know, the meme team is back. I love it. There's always one (laughs) or two of those moments a night that just, like, make you laugh like crazy.
0: The Terry um, Rozier post was pretty funny too, of him dunking on KD. But KD, who would have was... thought Terry Rozier would be the
2: first person to score forty points in the NBA this season? Uh, <laughs> not
0: me. That's not, 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 not Terry me. Rozier's
2: family. That's yeah. just <laughs> not <dude>. Terry
0: Rozier. <laughs> no. Oh,
2: I, okay. Actually, I would bet Terry Rozier would <laughs> said he's the first guy. Score 40, <laughs> that's but, <laughs> that's crazy.
0: I just thought, of,
1: go ahead, Brett. Uh, go ahead. Speaking Brad. of meme team, uh, Javale McGee, three point sniper now. Also, yeah, JaVale McGee, coast-to-coast
2: star. <laughs> um, yeah, j- drove coast-to-coast and dunked it. Like, oh, my God. And Domas with the half-court spin yesterday that resulted in a turnover. Um, but it wasn't a turnover at the half-court spin, so you can't fault it. But, yeah, it was – oh, uh, man, we're back. We're Just back. a lot of things, yep.
0: Well, it's it's good. It's good to be on the winning side, and it's good to have Pacers basketball back on our lives. So – Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Setting the Pace. You can find us on Twitter at Setting the Pace 3. Uh, you can find me at Alex Golden NBA, Mark at M. Schindler MBA, and Red. Is it just Red underscore Bauer? Yes, it is. All right. I'm, I've got it memorized. So, doing pretty well. Uh, we'll <laughs> be back next Monday to recap everything that's been going on and, and get you guys set up for next week. But, hope you guys enjoy Nerd Corner, NBA Corner, and all things Pacers. So, hope you all have a great day. We'll talk to you later.